0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We live in a world full of information, literally at our fingertips. Among all the claims of truth in the world, it can be hard to separate fact from fiction. This is often the case when it comes to the Christian faith. Do we understand the truth of what we believe, and can we articulate it to others? In The Essentials, Why Truth Matters, we'll use the affirmations of the Apostles' Creed as a guide to teaching us the core doctrines of the Christian faith. Join us each week as we affirm the foundational truths of Christianity so we can stand on the bedrock of God's truth and share that good news with the world. All right, this morning, if you have a Bible electronic device, I want to encourage you to take it out and turn with me to the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. And while you turn there, I want you to think about the fact that, or test, test this, this statement. Does your identity impact your actions? Does our identity impact our actions? Test that just for a second in your mind. And then I want to challenge that or encourage that and to affirm that. Because imagine for a moment we have a fireman. That's his identity, right? He's trained to run towards the fire. Right? Firemen cease to be firemen when they become afraid of the fire and they run away from the fire, right? So their identity as a fireman impacts the way that they act, it impacts their actions. A policeman doesn't run away from danger, policemen, police, policemen run towards danger, right? Nurses don't have a fear of blood, right? You can it's, it's kind of like they go hand in hand. So their identity impacts the way that they do. Parents care for their kids, right? Spouses care for their spouse. Our identities impact our actions. And it's interesting how uh, everyone in this room, we all have identities, but we also have like a list of identities, right? There's not just one primary identity that we hold, but at the same time we can Hold lots of different identities that impact our actions in different ways. Like, for example, right now this morning, I'm a pastor. Right? That impacts what I do during the week. I wake up in the morning, I'm a pastor. I go to bed at night, I'm a I'm a pastor. I mean, that impacts the things that I do. Right? I'm also a husband. That impacts what I do. I I stay faithful to my wife because she's my wife, right? I'm also a husband. Right? I've got kids, and so that, that identity as a father impacts the things that I do. I'm also a son, so that impacts how I, how I respond to my parents. I'm, I'm a brother, so that impacts how I respond to my family. How weird would it be if my actions were contrary to my identity? That would be weird, right? And so today as we look at... Our text and as we continue our series this morning, the series that we've entitled The Essentials, Why Truth Matters. What we've been doing over the course of the last several weeks is we've been walking through the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed was uh, put together by the early church as a discipleship tool to basically teach the basic doctrines that are necessary for the Christian faith. Especially as Scripture wasn't readily available um, to, to new believers. The Apostles' Creed was used and put together so that we could teach doctrine. And so we've been using the Apostles' Creed to identify the basic doctrines of the Christian faith. To be a Christian is to basically believe these simple foundational truths... And this week as I was preparing for uh, this series, as preparing for this sermon, I realized that in this this whole time we haven't actually read the Apostles' Creed in its entirety. We've been taking the little sections. And so what I wanted to do just for a moment is I wanted to read through the whole uh, Apostles' Creed and you'll see the ones, the verses, or not the verses, the statements that we've already covered and where we still have left to go. So this is what the Apostles' Creed says. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So today what we're going to be taking a look at is one of the identities that we have as a follower of Christ and how it relates to the statement, I believe in the Holy Catholic Universal Church, the communion of saints. See, today what we're going to see is our identity as a, if we find ourselves in Christ, then what we're going to see is that we are in the church. If we're in Christ, if we find our identity as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, then that means part of that identity means that we are in the church. And because we are in the church, that should impact the way that we live. And I'm going to build a case for this today. As Christians, we're not supposed to live in isolation, but God has given us the church to live in community. And we're going to see this in Ephesians chapter 4 today. And the big idea for today is that God's church is where God's people grow in God's image. God's church is where God's people grow in God's image. In this passage today in Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to see three ways in which God grows us. Or how God is growing us into this church. How he's bringing us together and how we're supposed to live in this identity as a follower of Christ inside the church. Let's look in Ephesians chapter 4 beginning in verse 1. And before we do that, I I do want to give you just this, um, this, this statement. I realize that the text today is so deep and it's so rich in its teaching, we're not going to be able to cover everything that's here. I'm not going to be able to address everything that's in the text today. Um, but if something does come up and you're like, hey, I'd like to know more about that, and, and I don't touch on it, feel free to reach out. I'd love to grab a coffee with you this week and just dialogue with you a little bit more because there's so much depth here. So for just for today, imagine us looking at this text kind of from a 30,000-foot view. Even though many times I was looking at this text, I'm like, I could preach like four or five sermons just out of this text today, but you get one. So um, not everything's going to be addressed. And so if if you're like, hey, I want to look at this at a a 10-foot view, glad to do it with you, okay? All right, let's dive into our text. Paul writes, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. For there is one body, one Spirit, just as you are called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So from this passage, what we're going to see is that in God's church is where he unites his body. In the church is where he unites his body. Now as we come to this text, you'll see that at the beginning in verse 1, there's the word therefore. And if you've been here for any time, I've always said that as you're doing any type of scripture study, as we're looking at the text, when you see a word therefore, that should cause you to pause for a moment. Don't just continue to read on as though the therefore doesn't exist. Instead, what we should be doing is taking a look at why that therefore is therefore. It's, it's a substantive statement of, of trying to say, okay, I've got this argument that I'm, I'm progressing, but it's, something's happened prior to this that you have to understand before we move on. So, let's understand what that therefore is there for. Chapters 1-3 through three has been a, a, a time where Paul has been writing to the church in Ephesus, and he's been describing salvation. He's been talking about our identity. In in chapter 2, he talked about how before coming to know Christ, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were enemies of God. But because Christ came, because God became man and dwelled among us, lived a perfect life, and because Christ died on the cross for our sins, and when we place faith in the work of Christ, we experience salvation So he's been explaining salvation to to us and how we can enter into the kingdom of God. How we can become children of God. And now in chapter 4, he's transitioning to help us understand how we live in the church inside of this new identity. As a child of God, how are we now supposed to live? And Paul begins by saying, he talks about his identity. Right? He, he identifies himself as a prisoner of the Lord. Now what's interesting about this is that, that Paul is, is talking about his actual circumstances. He actually at this time of writing the letter to the Ephesian church, he was actually in prison. But he's also talking about his identity as he sees himself in Christ. That he's been chained to this work. That he can't run away from this work because it is the calling that God has placed on his life. And so as a prisoner, he's not using it as a negative connotation. But he's saying that I am bound to you. I am bound to the church and other places. he says I do this with joy. And so he's saying as a prisoner, I now encourage you to let go of the old identity that you had and embrace this new one. What were the old identities that they needed to let go of? Right, Ephesus was a community that was made up of both Jews and Gentiles. And if you know anything about Jews and Gentiles, they didn't love each other. Right, There was massive hatred, racial hatred, between the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews thought that the Gentiles were dirty, rotten sinners that they never wanted to have anything to do with. To, To sit with a Jew or to sit with a Gentile or to be around a Gentile would make the Jew dirty and unclean and unworthy to be able to go worship the Lord. And so deep hatred between these two groups of people. But now they're in the church. They've come to the cross of Christ. They've come to the foot of Christ and they've embraced Christ as their Lord and Savior. And that changes everything about them. And so Paul is saying, let go of your old identity, but embrace this new one that God is doing and God has done in Christ. So he says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called meaning that you've been called out of darkness into light. You've called been called out of the world into the kingdom of God, into the family of God. So live like it. Live like brothers and sisters in Christ. So the, our identity as a Christian impacts how we walk inside of the church. Let go of the things that divide that has divided you and live in unity, this unity that God has afforded or that God has done through the work of Christ and now through the Spirit. So he goes on and says, allow the Spirit to help us walk in humility, not puffing ourselves up, but seeing ourselves with the right lenses, seeing ourselves through the, in the right way, Seeing ourselves as having infinite and inherent value. Like each one of us have infinite and inherent value because we are made in the image of God. And we've all come to Christ in the same way through surrendering ourselves. Through faith, we've all come to Jesus in the same way. right? There's no other way to come through Jesus except through repentance and faith. So we've all done that. So he says, live, see each other as, as having, having value, but making sure that we're also caring for one another, that we don't treat others differently, that in humility we come and we say, we are equal." But then he says, "As you're walking in this way, do so in gentleness. Don't be harsh with one another, but be gentle. Be an encourager. Build each other up in the faith. Be gentle. Don't be harsh. Inside the family of God, we're to practice patience with one another. And these are all the things the Spirit helps us do. The Spirit actually allows us to be patient with one another where we come to the realization that not everyone thinks the way that we think, not everyone feels the way that we feel, not everyone sees things the way that we see them. And under, having the understanding that we, though we all have equal value, we're all on different places in our walk of faith. Some of you have been walking with Jesus for a very long time. Some of you have just begun your walk with Jesus. And so we're at different places. And so we experience and we exercise patience with one another. And he goes on, he says, "Bear bearing with one another in love. This is the idea where we make mutual commitment to walk in life together, walk in love together, Bear, bearing each other's burdens together. In this place, we are eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Meaning that in Christ, we have spiritual unity. It's something that's already been given to us. And it's the, the Spirit, this unity exists in Christ, and this unity is maintained by the Spirit. But it is preserved through our interactions with one another. The the Spirit has already given us unity, and the unity is maintained through that, but it's preserved in how we treat one another. And then Paul goes on to describe all the things that we share in common. He says there's one body and one Spirit, just as we were called to, one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. God has designed the church for unity. Especially as we live in a world that seeks to continually divide. Wants to put you in this camp or this camp or this group or this group. In the church, there's oneness that we share. One faith, one Lord, one baptism. And I think it's interesting that the Apostles' Creed kind of highlights this. This understanding in, in the statement that I believe in the Holy Catholic Universal Church, the communion of saints. This is, this is where this statement is driving from in chapter 4. And I just want to explain to you first, this, this word Catholic does not mean the Roman Catholic Church. right? This statement, the Apostles' Creed, was put together in the 2nd or 3rd century um, by the early church. That, and so it was put together and it predated the Roman Catholic Church, which came on the scene 4th, 5th century. Some at that time. And the word Catholic itself just literally means universal. So what the apostles are talking about is the fact that there is this universal church. When you come to faith in Christ, you are grafted into something that is way bigger than yourself. That even right now, as a part of the universal church, we follow the same Lord, the same baptism, the same as other believers throughout the whole world. These are all the things that we share. So I can go to Cambodia this morning and meet a brother or sister in Christ and we share the same things. This is a unity that goes beyond being a fan of something, but being part of a family. So this statement in the Apostles' Creed means that we believe that there is one church And we believe that there's also a community or a communion of the saints. There's something that we share together. Let me ask you this. In the way that you understand your identity in the church, are you more like a palm tree? Or are you more like a great sequoia in California? You're like, okay, pastor, you Totally lost me. It's too early. I haven't had my fourth cup of coffee. I, 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 Am Palm tree? What are, you, what are you talking about? Let me explain to you. You see, the two types of trees are very, very different in the way that they grow. If you have a palm tree, you see a palm tree. Lots of palm trees live in isolation, right? They, they're not, they, they don't live in groves, right? But palm trees live, and the way that they live is they dig their roots super deep into the sand. Right, And they are there all alone facing all the elements. They're facing the wind and they're facing the rain and they're facing the shifting of the sand. And so the way that they grow is by growing their roots deeper into the ground. And did you know that a life expectancy of a palm tree is about 100 years? That's like if it's in a good place, they can live a little bit longer than that, but most palm trees live about 100 years. And they live alone facing the elements every single day. But what about the sequoias? The great, great sequoias that live uh, for thousands of years. And the way that they're able to live is because these trees live in groves. Meaning that they they use the, they don't face the elements on their own, but they're connected to other trees. And it's so much so that they're a grove and the way that they find their strength is their roots intertwine with another, with one another. Their roots don't go down very, very deep, but they they uh, amass Uh, around themselves and they tie themselves to other trees and so they don't have to face the elements alone but they find their strength connected to other trees and they're able to live thousands of years so which one are you if you look at the way that you're living your life right now is your connectedness to the community of the church vital to your existence are you like a palm tree living in isolation saying to yourself i got this I can do this all on my, I don't need nobody. I don't need no thing. I'm good on my own. Is that how you're living? Because if you're living like a palm tree, you're living outside of your identity that Christ has called you into. Christ does not call us to live in isolation, but called, God calls us to live in the community of the church. I'm sorry, those that say, hey, I meet God on the golf course on a Sunday morning. That's a lie. It's a lie. It's not how you're designed. That's living contrary to your identity. We need each other. And as painful as it is, as difficult as it can be, because I know when we live in in true community together, guess what? I'm going to tick you off. And guess what? You're going to tick me off. You're going to hurt me, and I'm going to hurt you. And you know what? We're going to go through seasons where we're going to have to exercise forgiveness, and we're going to have to exercise reconciliation. But guess what that does? When we walk through those difficult seasons, it intertwines our root system even more. And what does it do? It makes us stronger. But if we decide, nah, the church hurts me too much. The, The church is full of hurt. I'm not doing it. Well, guess what? You're not putting yourself in the right environment for healing to come. You're living yourself all alone saying, I got this, I'm I'm okay. Realize today that your identity as a follower of Christ is synonymous with your connection to a local body of the church. You You can't really be a follower of Christ and not be connected to the church. So, so maybe maybe you're here and you've been a part of Woodside for a while and you're like, okay, I hear you. I want to get connected. Well, we have an opportunity for you to get connected through our Next Steps class. That's the way in which you learn about our church and you learn about uh, membership and why membership is important. And then you learn about how you can become a member and you walk through that process and then you jump in and, and are part of the family. So I would encourage you that if you're not a part of the church to... Um, Consider being a part of Next Steps. Or maybe you're here today and you know that you're supposed to be connected to the church. And and for whatever reason, you've gone through a season of your life where you've become disconnected. Where you're like, life's been too hard. Life has been super fast-paced and I just need to get back into church. Well, listen to the word of the Lord. We need you today. The Lord has done this. God has given us the church so we can be united. As his body. The second truth we see is that God's church is where he builds up his body. So not only does he unite us to his body in the church, he builds up his body. Look at me in verse 7. He says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, and he gives gifts to, and saying he ascended, what does it mean that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all heaven that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the, and the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of faith. And of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now this is one of those parts of this passage that I could spend three hours um, expositing to you. and We just don't have time to do that. But quickly I wanted to kind of share with you what this passage is talking about. Paul is drawing at the beginning. He's drawing from uh, chapter 68 of Psalm. Psalm 68. And in Psalm 68, it describes uh, King David uh, coming back from victory in battle. And usually at that time, when, it, when a king would go out and his army would defeat another army, they would come back into the, the town uh, with all of the spoils of battle. And it would be a time of celebration because the, the king had been overthrown. And now this king is victorious. And so what Paul is is doing, he's drawing from chapter 68 and then he's making that connection to the work of Christ. That in Christ, um, descending and ascending, that he has been victorious over Satan. That he's been victorious over sin. That he's been victorious over death. And in this victory, now he's sharing the spoils of victory with the church. That's simply what it's saying. And so he says even though inside of the church we each have equal value each one of us in the church are displayed or been given different amount of gifts. He gives the church also different roles. And so in reality we need each other because Christ has been victorious but he's given us different gifts. In a way that build up the church. So everyone in the church is needed because we all have different gifts. We bring different gifts to the table. And he goes through and he gives a, a list of all of these different gifts. He, it's the gift of apostleship, the gift of prophet, the gift of evangelist, the gift of shepherd, the gift of teacher. And he's saying all of these things, all of these different gifts that, that have been given to the church are used to build up the church. Help the church grow and attain unity in the faith. And give um, unity in the faith and maturity is what he's doing all these things for. So that we equip others for the works of service. He gave us these gifts... So that ministry of the church can continue on and continue to grow. And so if you're here this morning, you have gifts that the Lord has given you. Because Jesus has become victorious, now there are gifts. And our church needs your gifts. You see, the church is not an organization that you join. right? It's not a country club where you pay dues and and all that. No, it's much, much different than that. I want to give you a couple pictures. When I think of the church and we look in Scripture, we can see some of these show up. You see, the church is a home where you're known. It's a place where you're known, where where you're seen, and where you're to be a part of. The church is a hospital. The the church is a place where sinners can come and find healing. Healing. When we where even saints who get wounded can be healed. The church is a hospital. The church is also a gym. It's, it's a place where we work out our faith, where we grow in our faith, where we test our faith, and where we're strengthened in that. The church is also a school. It's a place where we learn. It's a place where we come and there's teachers that, that teach us new things and there are teachers that explain the word of God to us so that we are, are changed and transformed. But the church is also an ever-expanding enterprise. Right? It's, it's, it's a place that's designed to grow and not be a holy huddle, but it's to be a place that is continually seeking to invite other people in. So that they can receive healing, so they can receive training, so they can receive help. And if you think about that, think about the vastness of all of that. Think about all the talent that is needed or all the gifts that is needed for the church to be a home, for the church to be a hospital, for the church to be a gym, for the church to be a school, for the church to be an ever-expanding enterprise. It's impossible for one person to do all of those things. Right? We need people that are skilled and have the gift of hospitality. We have people that need, have the, the gift of being uh, empathy and compassion. Right? We need people that are skilled in, in finances. We need people that are skilled in, in labor. We need people that are skilled in all different areas. And you know what? I can't do all those things. Right? I don't have all those giftings, I have gifts that I pray that I I use for the betterment of the body and for the advancement of the church, but I can't do all that. But together, we can. The church needs you so that we can mature and so we can grow up and so that we can expand. So my question to you is, what is your commitment to the church? Like, is the church a vital part of your life? Are you giving the best of yourself to the church? Or are you giving the best of yourself so that you can make money for yourself? Right? Paul is encouraging and challenging us to understand our identity means that we are giving of the gifts that God has given us. Not so that the advancement of, of our, um, our vocation, but the giftings that you have are to be used for the church. And he's given the church these these teachers and these leaders and the shepherds to equip you. So the goal is not that you have to figure it out on your own. If you know your giftedness, then come to the church. Come to me and say, hey, pastor, these are the gifts that God has given me. How can can I use them to the church? And it's my job as your pastor to equip you for that. To say, okay, this is how you're gifted. This is how we can use you and make those connections. That's what I'm supposed to do. That's what the other pastors are supposed to do. Thirdly, God's church is where he grows his body. Look with me in verse 14. He says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body Joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up into love. So what Paul is doing in this passage is he's drawing a connection between physical maturity and spiritual maturity. Right? Just as we know that infants grow into toddlers, toddlers grow up into children, children grow up into tweens, and then they move on to teens, and then they become adults. Right? Just as, as in, in our physical bodies we're designed to grow, Paul is saying that in our spiritual lives we are to grow as well. And we, as we grow, as we come to know what we believe and know why we believe what we believe, we're no longer confused by the world's schemes. Right? We're able to see this, the schemes and we're able to grow in wisdom and knowledge and we're able to defend our faith. That, that's a sign of our maturity. Right? I mean, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe, maybe you're still having a difficulty like, discerning between truth and error. And that's fine. Like, but still continue to grow. It's not okay to sit back and say, "What well, you know what, I don't care. I don't, I don't need to be discerning. I'm just going to put my head in the sand and let the world all around me burn. Who cares? Right? That, that, that's not to be a Christian. To be a Christian is to continue to grow and to to seek maturity. But I want you to see how this growth takes place. Now, now we are going to go deep in this because I think it's important. Because so many times we come to texts like this and we think that spiritual growth is an independent exercise. right? If you think spiritual growth is an independent exercise, you don't have a proper understanding of what Paul is teaching in Ephesians. Right we are all called to individually grow right you're on your process and you're on your path towards maturity but it's not an independent exercise we are to seek growth in the church and we're to seek growth of the church do you see that in the passage right our growth is not something we do Apart from the church in isolation at our home or on the golf course or other places. That's not where it happens. Your spiritual growth happens inside the church while you're helping and producing the growth of the church. And the growth of the church is not just numerical growth, here specifically, it's spiritual growth. Right? Rather, we are to speak, to, verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together. All of the language here is community language. It's not individual language. right? And when each part of the body is doing what it's equipped to do, when it's working properly, then we grow. If their part of the body has cancer, the cancer's growing, not the body. Instead, the cancer's growing and killing the body. And so each one of us are part of this beautiful thing called the church. And inside the church together, we are to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. You know, there's a difficult teaching in this passage that a part of our maturity comes when we come to the place of being able to speak the truth in love. This is, this is, this is a uh, evidence of a maturity when we're able to speak the truth in love. Now, I, I don't know about you, but even looking at that statement, that statement is impossible to do outside of a relationship. Right, if I were to go to Walmart right now, and I were to to see a parent like physically abusing their child, right? I could I could enter into that relationship, or I could enter into that situation, and I could speak truth all over that, right? I could say, this is wrong. You should not do that. Stop beating your kid. Stop being a part of this. You should. You need help. And I could go into there and I could just speak all kinds of truth. How's that? How's that going to be received? Especially if you're the abusive parent. How's that going to be received? It's not going to be received well. right? You're going to be like, shut up. Right? Don't talk to me. You're not the boss of me. Who are you to... Right? But inside of the home, inside the home, like inside of my home, we're a place of truth. It's easy for us to, inside of our home to speak the truth in love. Why? Because there's relationships. Because I know my kids, my kids know me, I can speak the truth to them in love. That's how it's supposed to be here, right? We're supposed to, because we're in relationship together, we're in community together, we're doing life together. And it's possible when we do life together, we make observations about each other's lives. And because of that, we have to step into that space and help our brother out. It's not helpful if we see our brother walking in sin to to just say, that's okay. It's, it's okay. No, we have to step into those spaces and speak the truth in love. Now, if we see those words as, as, as ends or polar opposites, then we run the danger if we do not keep them closely tied together. It's easy for us if we are in this place to only speak truth, right? If, we, if we're in relationship together and you just speak truth to the person, you're like, hey, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. Right? How does that feel? Right? That's hard to receive, even if you're in relationship, right? No one, no one constantly wants to know how, how they're missing the mark. No one, no one likes that, right? Even though we need to hear that we're missing the mark, nor, nor do we want to be in a place where we just speak love, right, where, where you're like, hey, I'm struggling with this sin. Ah, that's okay. that's okay, that's okay, that's all right. Yeah, yeah, that's all right. There's no truth, you do you, right? I, I do me, you do you, and we'll all be okay, right? Let's hug it out, right? You can see the dangers of being on, on the opposite. And when we see sometimes the personalities of churches lean to one of those ends. But I love how Paul here brings them beautifully together. He says, we're supposed to speak the truth in love. When you enter into conversation and have to say hard things, we need to make sure that it's coming from a place of love. And you go to the person, you're like, man, I love you, but I love you too much not to say something. And what does that do? It unites our hearts further together. Why? Because the spirit is active, bringing unity. And if you're walking in the spirit and the person that you're speaking to is walking to the spirit, what's going to happen is it's going to come together like this. But it is possible if someone speaks the truth in love and the other person that's receiving the truth in love is not walking in the spirit, then what's gonna happen is resentment's gonna come, anger's gonna come, and they're gonna say, well, you're wrong, I'm right, and division comes. You see, the only way this works is if we're all walking in the spirit together. That's when it happens. And we have that ability because that's what Christ has done and it's our responsibility to walk in this you know, one of, one of man's greatest needs is to belong and to be known. And God has given us the church. Well, God has given us Christ, first of all, so that we can be known and loved by God. And then he's given us the church so that we can grow in it. This morning, I just want to encourage you uh, just to be reminded of, you know, our mission here at Woodside is that we want to help people come to belong to Christ, grow in Christ, and reach the world for Christ. Do you see those truths showing up in this passage? Right. We want you to belong to Christ. We want you to be known by Jesus. We want you to come to the place where Jesus forgives you of your sins and you get a new life because you've come and you've repented and you've trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you haven't done that, I encourage you. That's your response to the passage today. And if you've already done that, then you belong to Christ. Then your call then is to grow in Christ. How are you growing in Christ? Are you so deeply connected to our church here? That you're not only being built up by the church, but you are are actually using your gifts to build up the church in maturity. And then are you taking the gifts that God has given you and are you being used by God to be his hands and feet to reach the world for Christ? I don't know where you're at today, but I know that the Lord is working and the Lord has given us this gift of the church. Let's not abuse it, but let's step into this that God has given us and allow him to use us in great and mighty ways. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for the challenge that it provides for us. And Father, I know that that we walk in this church and throughout this church, imperfectly. Father, I know that it is possible that there's someone here today that is dealing with hurt from church. And they're wrestling with that. And I pray, God, today that you would help them to see that you've given us everything to work through that. That when we walk in the Spirit, reconciliation happens. When we walk in the Spirit, Divisions Dissolve And Father you have done the mighty work To make us one So Father I pray that we would walk in that Father as your spirit has been moving I pray that we would respond today Accordingly to that If we've been disconnected Help us to jump in Dive in Show us how you want to use us